Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, rash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. We, we, just, about, we can just go right into it. We just talk about your your erectile dysfunction. Mic. Yeah, my mic has some ED issues. <laughs> it uh, it fell, so he took a blue pill and he's back up. Oh, so we're all yeah. we're all good. Yeah. We can get on with the show. So for all of our listeners, I mean, they have to understand why you had an ED mic in the first place. We are actually in Cleveland, Hello, Ohio. Cleveland. Hello, Cleveland. Cleveland, Ohio. Winter in Cleveland. What better destination the is there? Evergreen Podcast Studios doing our, we've never we're at the actually, mothership. We're in isolated like rooms and yes. I mean th- this had better sound fucking awesome. The only thing missing is the straight jackets, I think. <laughs> the walls are padded. That's the only thing missing. Oh, but we yeah. are enjoying some quality Cleveland brewed Great Lakes beer. Elliot Ness, if you've ever uh, had it, you know what I'm talking about. That's if right. you haven't, you should uh, give it a shot. How have you not had it? That's Sold all over the Midwest now. And that is compliments, Sorry, compliments of, uh, of Alexander Mann Solutions, by the way. At, when you come to Cleveland, you have to go to Great Lakes Brewing. Yeah. Because it is... Delicious. The, yeah, it's delicious, <laughs> but it's like the brewery. I mean, it was before microbreweries were, were big. Sure. Right? Right, lovely, and and we have Mark Jones, Miss Senior Vice President. Is there anything after that? You're just a Senior Vice President, which means that I mean that that's like big because you don't have anything after it. If you were a Senior Vice President of Finance or something like that, you would have like an area of responsibility. But in this case, you're responsible for everything. Just being an SVP. He, he can't be that important well, if he's here with us. Kind of, kind of. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the things that's different is yes. job titles are different where in the UK to, to the US. Ah. So not many people realize that. But SVP kind of is, yeah, it's the right level. Okay. I've, I've been with the organization for 23 years. and You're like the number two employee, right? Yeah, yeah. Damn. I mean, the, the, the number two, you've been with these guys for over 22 years? Yeah, and I'm still under 40. Can you believe it? Yeah. <laughs> What's what's the appeal? What, you know what, what keeps I, getting you up in the morning? AMS has been brilliant to me. I mean, I think uh, here I am sat in the studio with you guys. Uh-huh. You know, this is the perk of a lifetime, yeah, absolutely. isn't it? Absolutely. I be mean, online with us. who would who would have thought that I would have been sat in a studio in Ohio, in Cleveland, yeah. being minus temperatures outside when I started my career? But I think Alexander Man Solutions, we kind of invented RPA many, many years ago back in the UK. And what keeps me up really is is that I have fun. I have fun every single day. We're an organization that have been helping tons of organizations around the world. We hire tens of thousands of people, uh-huh. permanent and contingent workers around the world. And I've been really lucky with AMS because I've had a different job every couple of years, but staying within the organization. The real question is, are you, are you a tortured Cleveland sports fan at this point, or Jeez. are you still you know what? When, Premier League? Uh, so the great thing about being here is, is that I can watch every goddamn game on the Premier League. <laughs> yeah. Saturday morning for me is like, get up, coffee, you know, and I can just watch literally from like 7 a.m. through to like 1 p.m. It's all 
Premier League. And who's your team? So I actually support Wickham Wanderers, and they are in English League One, currently top of League One. My dad, my uncle, my granddad were all massive fans of Wickham Wanderers, which is like a small team where I grew up. But if I had to have a Premier League team, it would be Everton. Um, I've always supported Everton. But I am a Cleveland sports fan. Really? Do you know what? I'm a sports mad. I can't play sport. I was literally rubbish at school playing sports but watching it I love it and that, that means garbage for our American listeners yes it does it does one of many things that means different things in different sides of the pond <laughs> I wasn't very good at playing the sport but I absolutely love watching sport and I've been lucky enough in my time here in Cleveland to go to World Series never thought I'd see that nice. yeah. sadly it didn't game 7 game 7 that home that run was just Cubs. amazing that hurt yeah. yeah rain I mean who knows? I mean, so yes, I am a tortured Cleveland fan because that rain shower cost us the World Series. And I was lucky enough to be at game three of the NBA when they were they were 2-0 down, or 2-0 down, as you would say, to, uh, to um, Golden State. And they came back and, and uh, won that series. And so, Classic series. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was great. So apart from the Browns, you know, even this year, everyone was saying the Browns are going to be great. Sure. So yeah. this year, I will got the bandwagon and I went to my very first Browns game against Seahawks. Guess what? They were winning like 14-0 uh, and they threw it away. Yeah, that's kind of a Browns thing So you've been here 12 years and you just went to a Browns game? Not 12 years. Seven years. I've been here seven yeah, years. He's been here since 2000. Well, it only feels like 12 in Cleveland. <laughs> yeah, but, but the ball is the wrong shape for me, you see, on, uh, on football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you came in 2012. Now, from my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, this was supposed to be a short term jaunt for you. You were supposed to be here for a small amount of time, but you're still here. What keeps you here? Yeah, it was. It was meant to be two years. In fact, I said to my wife, 18 months. Um, uh, and actually, it's a funny story. But Got her. I, I took my wife to this spa. I'm sure you're right? still paying for that. And we had like this, we had this great, great time. And I thought, right, she's just relaxed enough that I'll say, let's go to the US for 18 months. And uh, yeah, I, do you know what? I, I've been really excited about what this market has to offer. Uh-huh. AMS has historically been more of a UK-focused organization. Right. We've got a massive push into North America. I think the market is, is right for change. And I think what we're doing is slowly trucked in the market. So I'm really excited. And we've grown the organization here in North America to literally nothing seven years ago to we've got about 400 and, or 200 people in Cleveland and about 650 in the U.S. now. Wow. Okay. So wow. I'm going to get the hardball question out of the way. And oh, then, we, and then we can talk about real stuff. Okay. So Mark Jones, do you prefer the Counting Crows Mr. Jones or the Billy Paul Mrs. Jones? This is a hard question. You, but make sure you answer this one right. Mrs. Jones. There Woo! we go. <laughs> Billy Mrs. Paul. Mrs. Jones. Mr. Good Jones, answer, Mark. And okay. yes, Mrs. Jones. I had it at my wedding. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. nice. Yes. I know I love this guy. <laughs> Things going on. The British on. sense of humor never fails us. <laughs> So, okay, so here's the question. You break it to your wife. She's at the spa. Going to the U.S. can be, in some cases, incredibly beautiful and wonderful. Not that Cleveland's not. I'm going to put that out there. But when you're pitching the U.S., is she automatically thinking, like, California, Florida, I mean, something more tropical? Or what what was she thinking? Well... Naivety. I had no idea where Cleveland was. I just knew it was somewhere between Chicago and New York. So we didn't. We had no idea. We had no idea. And you know what? When I arrived with the family, uh-huh. two kids and a dog. 
Oh, wow. How you old know? were the kids? At the time, they were five and seven. Wow. And a dog yeah. who was blind. Not good. Um, <laughs> we pulled up into two feet of unplowed drive. This was, this was, this was January. Oh. Two feet. And I fell, literally, last over tit, which is a UK expression, for falling over. Yeah. And that was it. Welcome to Cleveland. So the weather sucks. The weather does suck. There is definitely, that's... that's, that's <laughs> could you know, only get better exactly, from there, though. Exactly, exactly. Right? Yeah. But great people. And great people that actually have enabled me and AMS to build a business because they want to succeed. They want Cleveland to be great and they want to, they want to, to, to see success. So here's, here's a big question when it comes to markets. I mean, not just here. I mean, we're talking about moving from the UK to the US. What, what are the biggest differences you see, especially when it comes to RPO and the industry? What are the biggest differences between across the pond and over here? Other than, obviously, there's a shit ton of money. Well, that money actually drives behavior. Yeah? So I think the U.S. is a little bit more, I want it now, I want it quick, and if you can't deliver it, somebody else can. Right. And I think that's different to what we were used to in the U.K., which is a bit more relationship-led and a bit more around quality. So I I think one of our strengths is quality. But that's really hard to get across when you're sat in front of a procurement person that just wants it done quickly. Everybody says it, though, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so what, what does it mean? I think the procurement life cycle and just the aggressive sales nature is different. I think oh, that's one yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to get a little retrospective here real quick. We're heading into 2020. We're there already. 2019, what what trends, maybe news items, sort of what stuck at, uh, what stuck in your, your mind when you look back at 2019 in terms of the industry? I think probably how, how well the industry is doing and, and just the, the continuation of the, the bull market uh-huh. and the very low unemployment. And then what does that lead to in terms of being able to find talent for organizations? I mean, good people are always hard to find, but it's not just good people, it's, it's anybody in a, lot of all, in a lot of what we do for our organizations, whether it's call center or whether it's help desk staff or I mean, whether it's a project manager, good people are, are still hard to find. So I think uh, I wasn't sure whether that was going to continue or 2019, and I'm not sure it's going to continue in 2020. I think there's a lot of stuff you, on have the you seen Have you seen budgets rise significantly going into 2020? No, the opposite. The opposite, actually. Uh, Reductions in budget. I've seen organizations start to tighten the belt. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which means you have to get much more efficient to be able to pull in that business. And that, going to the the next question around chatbots, you have uh, the the queen of chatbots actually on staff, uh, who we've talked to on a couple of occasions. We've got drunk with her on a couple of occasions, too. It's it's mandatory. I can't count. (laughs) She can drink both of us under the table, I cannot count the the amount of times I've been drunk with Quincy. But... uh, (laughs) But talk about, I know it's different, not that it's better or worse, but what's the difference between talent in the UK versus, because you've worked on both sides, right? So there's got to be a huge difference between, you know, working here in the US. I I know it, it seems like, you know, you have to have it now. Are the people that you work with here in Cleveland, was that like a huge culture shift for you? I think there's always a culture shift. Um, 
just by the nature of some of the cultural things that are, that, that are different. Mm-hmm. Actually, funnily enough, one of the things was to start with, people didn't understand my voice. You know, I was constantly saying things and people were looking at me and saying, what did he just say? Is he speaking English? Exactly. You need to speak yeah. American. Yeah. Exactly. Here, exactly. And, and actually, you kind of dismiss it, but it's kind of there. Another thing that kind of happened is, is that we need to embrace America and American ways of working. So our organization has changed over the last seven years where we have more infrastructure now in in the US than we've ever had before. So that's kind of different as well. And that didn't happen overnight because there was, well, we can do this in the UK. Well, you can, but better to do it here in the US. So I think think that was different. There's definitely some cultural changes. um, But the quality of people... The same, the same either, either side of the pond. So what about on systems? Now, I know I was an RPO on the Ronstadt side, RSR side, for a, hey. a, for a while. And I know that on like a, a, across the pond, you want to make sure that you're really focused on what the client's needs are. So you're not going to provide them with kind of like a templated stack, yep. let's say, right? And that's something that we do here in the US. We try to we try to template a stack and try to really focus on heavy efficiencies. You see it off. I'm sure you see it from a bunch of your uh, your uh, competitors. Has that been a huge change to be able to to kind of change over to a templated stack or are you really just th- saying, you know, AMS does it well because we customize better for you? It's a great question, and, and I think you're absolutely right. I would completely agree that the stack is more standard, and we see that across the board. And we see organizations that, well, the stack says no, so you can't have it. And I think that's probably not the way that we tend to do business. We tend to customize things. We have a hive, which is basically our internal pool of tech talent that are sort of certified and we can leverage them, we can use them. Some of our clients have different firewall requirements or different different needs. Mm-hmm. So we stick all the talent in, in the hive, so to speak. But generally speaking, we tend to customize. And that brings different challenges in terms of efficiencies and sometimes cost as well. I'd like to sort of dig into that. And you guys have some great case studies with some uh, customers and things that you've done for them. Mass Mutual here in Cleveland, I think they have a footprint here in the Midwest. Talk about what you guys did for them, both strategically and maybe tactically, to give our listeners a sense of what you guys do and, and what maybe they should be looking to do in their own recruitment. Sure. So we've been working with Mass Mutual since, I think, 2016. It's a full outsource where we are supporting them, supporting all permanent hiring coast to coast but they do have a big presence in the midwest and then up through uh, massachusetts and uh, up into up into the main area so we are supporting them with a number of strategic initiatives where they are moving some of their locations where they are also trying to move into more of a tech heavy organization they are looking for a lot of tech talent particularly in and around the boston area so we've been supporting them with really how do we identify and attract and find that kind of talent for them right that's man that is ultra competitive yeah so i mean obviously there are tech schools some pretty big tech schools in and around that area mit are you guys focusing on just trying to target identify and target the right talent that's out there are you also working with um universities and whatnot to be able to pipeline both both yeah both because it has to be a complete holistic 
process. So it's a question of very short term, very tactical, right. here now, this is what we need, but also longer term, particularly if organizations are are moving locations or they're moving into different areas. We have examples as well where some of our organizations, a large manufacturing and defense organization, they've got a ton of retirees. Their challenge is, yeah. is that their workforce is retiring. Right. So how do we support those organizations with finding or retaining that talent? Hence the reason we're moving a little bit into sort of looking at talent pools and keeping those people in those populations. Well, it has to do around the creation of talent as well, right? Because if you don't have enough coming out of the universities because not enough are going in. So, I mean, that's with all the boomers going away. This is going to be a problem. How, you know, how's AMS going to to deal with that other than big, borrow, and steal? And it's not just the boomers going away. You've also got restraints on immigration. So you're cutting it off at both angles. You know, you've got an aging population and you've got restraints on workers coming in. Yeah. I think that will have to change. I do think you know, that will have to change at some point because there will be there will be a need. I think this is really where it comes down to building relationships with organizations. And I think that's what we do really well. Our average contract length is nine years in duration. And that's important. Nine years? Yeah. And that's that's wow. really important because it's usually three year contracts, yep. right? Yep. So therefore you've got a three I mean that's that's a hell of a retention. But that's important if you are thinking about not just today, but about tomorrow. Right. In terms of where a talent's going to come. Is it a permanent hire or is it a gig worker? Is it a contract worker? Is it temp to perm? All of these different angles, these are what our people on the ground are talking to clients with all the time. Right. And the other thing that's really important is, is that for AMS to succeed, our brand shouldn't be out there because we represent our client's brands. So actually, for me, success is, and no one's heard of AMS. Yeah. Actually, they've heard of the clients that we work with. And we're seeing more and more on the contingent side and the permanent side, people want to work for good brands. They want to work for brands that stand for something, that mean something. Uh-huh. And therefore, we can tap into that when it comes to how do we attract talent, how do we retain them, and how do we work with those organizations to make their brands better or look at bringing them in based on their brand. So let's dig into that. You mentioned talent communities or talent pools, as well as uh, the comments on brand. Tell me, a, tell me some best practices to engage with the talent community, how brand can be emboldened or uh, highlighted to that community. Does that re- create a referral network? Like, let's dig in a little bit to the communities and how you can build brand with, with that uh, vehicle. So you have a bunch of data. How do you actually engage these people in a, in, in a meaningful way? That might be another way to ask okay, that I'm question. Just asking. Yeah. Okay. yeah, some of it comes down to how much the organizations want this to work. So, for example, Some don't want it to work. Yeah, what do you well, mean by that? Well, I mean, some organizations... <laughs> we want failure. Well, no one's done with failure, but they're more protective of their brand, uh, and they won't let their brand be used in certain ways. Whether that be in social, whether that be in really neat initiative ways in terms of some of the text, some of the apps that you can use, even something as simple as text messaging sometimes actually is a real challenge to get through some organizations' security processes and and methodologies. To really leverage brand, you also have to make sure that the organization want you to use that brand. Otherwise, you're just a staffing agency that are just throwing a number of CVs or resumes at at the wall and hoping one sticks. So I think the brand's important making sure you've got the right people and the right stakeholders within the organization that really want this to be a success. And then really understanding what the story is, what, what, what's happening within that organization. Where are they going? What are they doing? That enables us to, to do push messages or 
regular updates that keep organisations and keep the people informed about what's, what's happening and what they're doing. We'll get back to the interview in a minute. But first, we have a question for Andy Katz, COO of Next. For clients that are you sort of married to email, what would you tell them in terms of the metrics versus text messaging? It really depends on the audience you're trying to reach. I'm not going to even tell you text messaging is the right tool for every type of audience. Uh, you know, you're not going to reach a you know a VP or a senior level person necessarily through text. Uh, you're going to reach more of those hourly workers, more of the gig economy, more of anybody that's on their feet all day long. So again, you know you got to break out email and text in two different categories and sometimes depending on the audience the best thing to do is hit them with both of them and it reinforces the message the brand that's coming across they'll know who the company is and it's like any other commercial or podcast you know you might have to listen to it a few times before it resonates and it sinks in i believe it's the same thing with uh, text versus email versus any other form of communication for more information, go to hiring.next.com. Remember, that's next with the double X, not the triple X. Hiring.next.com. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. Let's talk a little bit about this direct sourcing piece that you guys are actually focused on right now, or at least you are, I think. You're, you're championing this. What is, it, what is it all based around? Direct sourcing has been around for a while, but what are you guys doing? Well, it's been around for a while, but it's not really adopted in, in North America. Uh, it certainly is in Europe, uh-huh. and that's, that's how we started the business back in 1997. If you think about what happens today, when, when an organization has a vacancy, and a contingent labor vacancy, what do they do? In 90% of cases, they farm it out to a large number of staffing suppliers. Mm-hmm. And what do they do? They then farm it out to job boards. And then you're in a numbers game of who can get me the most resumes first, fast, and then you're dealing with, you know, where's the quality in that? There's speed. So let's look about what happens today. Not to mention also the candidate experience is shit for that. That comes back to one of the benefits of, of, of what we're doing. So... That's what happens today. Uh-huh. You get a poor candidate experience. Right. Yeah, you get you get good time to hire. In ninety percent of the cases, you're getting you're getting the job filled, so everyone's happy. But that's going to change. If you read any of the reports, by 2030, 50% of the workforce in North America is going to be some form of flexibility, some form of gig economy worker. So organisations need to be able to have the ability to attract those workers. And then it comes back to brand as well. So what direct sourcing does is enables us to create a talent pool which belongs to the organization. It's their IP. We are the custodians of that talent pool. We attract people in and we can use a bunch of tools to attract people in. We can use their brand. We can engage on social. We can engage on alumni's uh, and referral networks. And we then manage that population of workers in a talent pool. When there's a vacancy that comes forward, we then supply that vacancy. That vacancy gets sourced and we support the, the filling of that job. We do that at a much lower price than a staffing agency. So that gets us through the procurement door. 
Let's dig into a gig economy for a second. How are you currently, I guess, what's your overall perspective of the Upworks, the Fivers, the Uber works, et cetera? And, and above your opinion, just generally, how are companies best leveraging solutions like that, if at all? Well, I think they're not. I think some are, but the large corporate blue chip Fortune 500, I don't think are to the same degree because 90% of how the US market has operated is the same today as it was when I was a recruiter mm-hmm. back in 1990s. Yeah. So and I think that's gig workers have been around for, for many, many decades. It's not a new thing. It's just that there are tools now to engage them. The Uber creates the tool and it makes it more, perhaps more of a socially acceptable way of working. But it's not new. It's been so around for many So your times. perspective is the, the gig economy has a long way to go to make inroads with sort of big enterprise level yes. companies. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So on the AMS side of the house, are you guys looking at trying to build an app for that? Because, I mean, it obviously works and the transparency of all of those individuals matched up against all of those those opportunities. Is that something that you guys are looking into today or maybe in the future? So we're not a technology company. That's not our area of expertise. Okay. Our, what we do is really well is, is, is talent management and talent acquisition. I think there is scope over the longer term to think about what technologies we use. But certainly in terms of the direct sourcing activities, no, we're not looking to, to, to build an app at this point. There are plenty out there that do a really good job. And so I think our focus is on making sure that we manage the experience yeah. and we focus on the brand and focus on getting people to the organizations. I love that he brought up Skype, that brand new technology that uh, no one's ever heard of. So talk about talent acquisition. I think there's a lot of clutter out there. You mentioned Skype, which I don't think most people would default to in terms of a a recruiting tool. We talk about TikTok on the goddamn show almost every week. I mean, Snapchat, all social media. We talk about, you know, programmatic advertising, chatbots, you guys know quite a bit about. From a recruiting and a sort of a, a, you know, marketing perspective, what works best for you guys? What should companies out there be looking to use from a platform or medium standpoint to get traffic in the door for, for candidates and applicants? Do you know what? That's a it's a great question. Part of the challenge is I only ask great questions. Yeah, he's full of shit. (laughs) (laughs) But cheers. Part of the question, part of the challenge, really, is there's too much out there. There's literally too much out there. There's noise. Yep. You know, like before I came in here this morning, I had like 15 emails (laughs) of people trying to sell stuff. Email. What's that? (laughs) But this is how they they're they're, they're pushing the the, the overall products. So say that again. You had 15 emails this morning. Of, of vendors trying to sell you shit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Not 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 just not, talent, not, not just talent acquisition vendors, but but vendors across the board. Oh yeah. yeah. And so I think part of the challenge is is that well, to answer the question, what's the best out there? Mm-hmm. You've got to try and use it. You've got to have the case studies. You've got to really try and understand who is pushing best practice and is that best practice got a return on investment? Mm-hmm. And so that's what we try and do with, I mentioned the Hive earlier, which is basically our, our internal ecosystem that enables us to sort of try products. Kind of like a marketplace. Yeah, right? it, is, it is. It is. So The Hive sounds much sexier, though. It, yeah, does. it does. It does. People don't hive. know what the hell a it Hive does. is. You can, be a, you, you, you can be a bee and you can come into the marketplace. And, hive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it does sound good. Um, it wasn't me to come up with it, by the way. But I think the... The different organizations have 
different needs as well. So we work with a lot of banks and a lot of financial services organizations mm -hmm. that have extremely tight security requirements, as you'd expect. So what works for them might not work for another organization in the healthcare industry or the pharma industry or whatever. So I think that's the other challenge. You've almost got to look at it in terms of what's working well, what are the products, what's the success, where have we seen the, the, the benefits and what's going to fit with this organization, which comes back to your original question in terms of does one size fit all? No, it doesn't. You do have to try and customize to be able to get the right return for that organization. So it seems like all these other RPO firms are doing business wrong because they're trying to slam all of these square companies into a round hole. That's what I'm hearing from you. Well, it's not wrong. It's a way of working. <laughs> and that, that's working for them. That was, that's, that's, very, that's very British of you to, to, to not say that, yeah, no, they're doing shit wrong. I just think there's a different way of doing it yeah. that over time will allow us to be able to understand what's happening to the market and adapt to the market. Just because we've been doing it for the last 20 years doesn't mean it's the right way to always do it. So you sort of danced around what should people be looking to use by saying everyone is sort of customizable. But are there certain are there certain platforms like it doesn't matter who it is, we're going to use this to attract Chatbots. A podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we should do podcasts. We yes, should we do should. Podcasts. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And that being said. He also didn't answer the question. AMS, no, well, AMS just, <laughs> AMS just bought a chatbot. Get that man another beer. They, they, yeah, they just bought a chatbot. So, I mean, I, I would assume that that would be a technology that. So, let's talk about that. Instead of trying to get him to answer the question, let's talk well, about damn it. something that they, that they actually have bought into, which is a chatbot. And I would assume that what do you see as the upside? Obviously, you know, AMS sees it as an upside because they bought a chatbot company, Karen, right? So what's the upside? I think what it gives us is it gives us the ability to try and over time start to think about what tools are we going to use, what's working. Okay. We have chatbots outside of Karen that we have deployed across clients around the world, but those have been deployed in-house Whereas yeah. now we have the ability to leverage real engineers, real experts that we can use to enhance what we already have, or in some cases decide to, to merge what we already have into, into a new product. So there's definitely upside in terms of access to technology, access to the thinking. Mm. That's really the main things we're looking at. So when you're talking not about chatbots and matching and, and every product out there today has AI attached to it, is that just more noise? What, because everybody's using it. And what's your definition of AI? I think in the talent acquisition space, uh -huh. AI is being used to make recruiters' jobs a lot easier. Certainly, a lot easier than it was for me in terms of right. in terms of you know the technology does match. It parses, parses resumes, it matches candidates, and it learns and it, and it gets better. So I think I think that's where you're, that's where where we're seeing a lot of a lot of AI come into it. Has it really hit mainstream yet? No. Not yet, but it is in every single product and it is making things easier and therefore making things efficient, which then leads to more price competitiveness. That's what we're seeing. Does it really matter to somebody in talent acquisition whether something has AI on it or not? No, I don't it's, think it does. It's not a checkbox that every department has to check off? Well, I think a lot of people in talent acquisition feel they want it. Yeah. Um, Even so though I, they don't know what it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> give me some AI. I don't know what that is. Put some give AI it to on me. that. I'll have that with... And throw in a chat yeah, bot some, and some programmatic some something or other. fries with AI on yeah. the time. <laughs> but that comes, back to, that comes back to what's the business? What, what is the problem we're trying to solve? Uh -huh. Yeah. And if we can have a really strong business case, then there is a real 
business case and a real financial or enables us to be able to leverage people that were doing a job into another job. Mm-hmm. That's really where the benefit of AI really comes in, whether it be a chatbot or an interview scheduling tool. Interview scheduling tool is a really good example. That is work that not everyone wants to do. Sure. You know, it's actually a lot harder than it sounds because you've got to match calendars and all kinds of different things. Right. So that's an example whereby it sounds simple, it's a bit harder to get in, but can make a real difference and allows us to focus on quality, allows us to focus on what's really important to the organizations. I love that we touched on AI because some of the the comments that we've gotten towards the end of the year and into this year is that diversity and inclusion is the new AI. And I know that that's something you guys focus on. So talk about diversity and, and inclusion and what companies should be looking to do heading into 2020. Yeah, it's, it's a massive area. We see it all the time. And sorry if I weaved into your lane there, Chad. Oh, you're good. I, I love it. Yeah. Well, there's a, He's learning. It's something that all of our organizations that we work with talk about. Right. It's not the ex- I'm not the expert in, um, in diversity. Three middle-aged men sat in a podcast. White dudes. Probably you mean a middle-aged <laughs> British white guy? Yeah, isn't, yeah probably uh, isn't okay. the best, best diversity. <laughs> yeah. But it is something that we see more and more, and we have whole teams that focus on you know, how do we attract the right talent. This is what it comes back down to, whether it's diversity, whether it's you know, uh, female, male, women in tech, whether it's retirees, it all comes down to the same thing in terms of what the organizations want right. and how do you attract that talent. Well, and I would assume that your clients, most of your clients, big companies, they really focus heavily on DEI, right? So diversity, equity, and inclusion, mm-hmm. so that they know that from your standpoint, they haven't been able to do it. They haven't been able to diversify their talent pools. So they come to you to hopefully be able to do that. Are you seeing many companies come to you and that is almost like the tip of their spear? Yes. It's like, this is something we can't, we, we just haven't been able to do it. We need help in this area. And, and it's not just they can't do it. It's yeah. just they haven't focused on it or they're letting their business get in the way. Gotcha. If you're a hiring manager, the hiring manager has a job, get it filled. It's costing me money if you're not being filled. So what having any outside party come in is to spend some real quality time and thinking about what is it you're trying to achieve. Right. So it is, it is, is, it is a short spear. It can lead into assessment. It can lead into selection. It can lead into the technology. It can lead into a whole range of different things. And overall, it comes down to outcomes. I mean, you can do yes. all the warm and fuzzy bullshit, but if that doesn't come into outcomes, it d- doesn't work, then right. I think that's what we've seen. And outcomes that mean something to organizations. Yeah. So... Does that mean, is that round retention? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no point hiring somebody who you know, buggers off after 12 months. Yeah. That's, that's, that's not the point. That's one way of measuring you know, the, 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 the quality. And measuring quality is a difficult thing because quality means different things to different organizations as well. I want to apologize for Chad mentioning the tip of his spear before I ask my question. <laughs> um, so what, what's the greatest opportunity for your business and what is the greatest threat? I think greatest opportunity is is really continuing to focus on what we're doing in North America and continuing the great work that our teams are doing with the organizations we're working with. It really is a great opportunity, and that's that's why we're here. I think the threat is going to be really interesting. I think um, instability could be a challenge. Meaning it's, global, it, political, global, global, environmental. Um, okay. I think instability, a lot of people looking over their shoulder right now. I think we're obviously in a period of challenging time. So I think I think that does pose a potential threat, but equally it also poses a, presents an opportunity because many organizations, when you are tightening your belt, 
want to think about a talent acquisition process, want to think about how right. they're attracting talent, or how can they save money, how can they do things better, faster, cheaper, which also creates opportunities as well. So Quincy has been teasing us about this, such a tease. This, this, new, this new thing that AMS is doing in 2020. It's now 2020. She's still teasing us. Can you give us some insights on what's going on uh, without us getting in trouble by Quincy? So Quincy will definitely give you a <laughs> update and a demonstration very soon. Excellent. So I got to go back to Quincy. Yeah, means I have, have to, to buy her more beer. And on that note, uh, Mark... Thank you so much for coming out here on the east, uh, the west side, sorry, from the east side of Cleveland to uh, join us for some Q&A. For those of our listeners who don't know Alexander Mann, where should they go to find out more or to connect with you? So you can find me on LinkedIn or go to alexandermannsolutions.com. And thank you both for having me today. Love it. Because there aren't many Mark Joneses on LinkedIn. Mrs. Mr. Jones! Mr. Jones! <laughs> we out! We out! Thanks, Mark. Thanks. This has been the Chat and Cheese Podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single show. And be sure to check out our sponsors because they make it all possible. For more, visit chadcheese.com. Oh yeah, you're welcome. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business, when you need it, from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.